Okay, so go with me to the book of Numbers. So I started with you, just gave you an overview of the book of Numbers last week. Tonight, I'm going to go through Numbers chapter 1, and it's called The Preparation. And then next week, since we're covering Numbers chapter 1 tonight, what will we cover next week? And I want you all to read it. I want you all to read it verse by verse and word by word, Numbers 2. Because I bet that there are very few people here tonight who ever read Numbers chapter 2. Because it is a genealogy. So you know when I teach that you will find Jesus in every chapter of the Bible? I want you to read Numbers chapter 2 and come back next week. And I'll ask you when I begin the sermon next week, where's Jesus in Numbers chapter 2? Okay? And whoever gets that answer, I'm going to give a $100 bill to. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Got some people are getting excited. <laughs> I'm coming back next week. No, just if you can find Jesus in Numbers chapter 2. Because I'm going to show you Jesus in Numbers chapter 2 next week. So tonight, we're going to go Numbers uh, chapter 1. The pre- it's the preparation. And um, I'm just going to read to you the first four verses of Numbers chapter 1. Stand with me for the reading of the word. We're going to cover the entire chapter. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day in the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually, from 20 years old and above, All who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one of the head of his father's house. Heavenly Father, open up our heart to your word, Lord God. We know and we believe that your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, and that it reveals to us, Lord God, your heart. It reveals to us your Son. It reveals to us things, Lord God, of the past, the present, and the future. So, Lord God, we come to you with a heart that desires to learn your word tonight and illuminate us and enlighten us from Numbers chapter 1, for we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, I want you to to notice here, this is the the numbering of the the 12 tribes, okay, of Israel. Now, it's interesting because the Levites are not numbered. And what you have, Joseph, right? Joseph had two sons. What were their names? Ephraim and Manasseh. So they, they basically are each accounted as a separate tribe. So that's where you have the 12 tribes. The Levites, again, not being counted. So, again, the, the beginning. In verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting, on the first day of the second month, and the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. And then it goes on to what he had said. So just notice here, this is, this is two years. Okay, it's, it's the second year, and it's actually the second year and the, the end of the second month. So it's been 26 months since Israel has basically crossed the Red Sea. Two years, two, mon- two months, 26 months. What happened during that time? So you have this period between when they cro- what, what happened after they crossed the Red Sea, and what you, what you have, you have that entire account in the book of Exodus. So they, they crossed the Red Sea, 
And then, right, they're hungry. What does God bring them? He brings them manna from heaven. Right, they are thirsty. What does he do? He brings water from a rock. They come against the Amorites. And, right, Moses, his hands are, are held up, right, and they defeat the Amorites. And then they come to these, this bitter area, the bitter waters of Marah, bitterness. And what did God do? Throw the, throw the staff into the water, and they turn the bitter waters into uh, waters that were drinkable. Then you have the giving of the law on Sinai, okay, Exodus chapter 20. And then you have the, basically the description given to Moses of the building of the tabernacle. And that's from chapter 25 to chapter 40. And we've covered all of that you know, already. But that's what was going on during those 26 months. Okay? Another thing that happened during that 26-month period was you had the fiasco of the golden calf. Okay? That little uh, fiasco that went on, you know, went on there. So here's a diagram. And uh, you'll notice here again, they start in Goshen, right? They, ten plagues are brought upon Egypt. They come across. They cross the Red Sea, right? God divides the Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea. And now they've come down to Sinai, okay? So this whole period here, this is a 26-month period. And now they're going to journey up to the Promised Land. And as I said to you last week, it should have taken them about, 14 days, right? 14 days, somewhere around there to go up to, go up to the uh, promised land. How many years did it take? Well, 38. Okay, remember, because you got, you got this, this journey here was two years, two years, two months. So you have a 38-year period. That could, by the way, everybody says, you know, we say 40 because of what Stephen said in, in Acts chapter 7 when he was preaching. And, um, and, and, you know, again, he's, he's, he's giving, he's giving uh, you know, it's correct from the crossing of the Red Sea. But um, if you want to get down into and being, you know, right on, I mean, the Word of God, literally, as you go through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, it gives you the exact period. So they come to Sinai. Here's Sinai. Been to Sinai. Most of the time we can't get down to Sinai because it's Egyptian territory. This is a, a modern-day picture. You have this, this little community here. Uh, they sell all kinds of gifts and there's little stores in there. But this is where Moses would have went up to on Mount Sinai. Now, it says here that God spoke to Moses at the tent of meeting. What's the tent of meeting? It gets a little, gets a little confusing. I was, always, I was always confused about this. So I want to show you something. Because before the tabernacle was built... God instructed Moses to basically pitch a tent outside the camp. And that's where God would come and meet with Moses. And I believe he called him to do it outside of the camp because he hadn't established the sacrificial system that would be you know, with, within the, the tabernacle. So the tent of meeting was actually, it was a tent that Moses set up outside the camp. Now after the tabernacle was built, that's called the Tent of Meeting. So I believe what we're looking at here in Numbers, that is the Tent of Meeting. I want to I show you something here. In Exodus 33, 7-9, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. That's, not, that's right, that's not the tabernacle. And far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting, and it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out 
to the tabernacle, that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. Again, that's what you're seeing here. Now after, again, after the tabernacle was built, that's where God is communing, okay, with, uh, with the Israelites. When... Uh, Everything is said and done as you go through the book of Numbers. Here is where the tabernacle would have been. And you have here the Levites, okay, that would live around the tabernacle. And then you have all the different 12 tribes. We'll get into that. We'll get into that next week. That's what I want you to take a look at and study this week as you prepare for next week. Second thing here. So God instructs Moses to take a census. Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually. Why? Why does he want them to take a, uh, to take a census? So I want to give you, I want to give you a, couple of, a couple of thoughts here. One, it was to confirm. It was, it was basically confirming God's promise. He confirmed God's, uh, it, it was essentially a confirmation of God's promise to the Israelites. What promise am I talking about? Okay, the promise that was made to Abraham and that w- was renewed to Jacob. Genesis twenty-two seventeen, blessing I will bless you and multiplying. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And then in Genesis chapter 28, 14, it's renewed to Jacob. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. By the way, that is still being fulfilled today. Right? You, you have right, 17 million Jews living in the world. Six and a half million Jews living in Israel. I think you had about three million Jews living in New York City and, and around the metropolitan area. It's one of the largest populated Jewish, you know, Jewish areas. But it's, so it's still, so God promised to Abraham, okay, and to Jacob that he would multiply them. So here is a confirmation. So there, there are times in our lives, God makes a promise to you. You're living right now in the midst of many of those promises. But we, we have a tendency to become overly focused on the earthly and we lose sight of the heavenly. Or we become overly focused on the material and we lose sight of the spiritual. Right? We become overly focused on you know, the, the, things, the things of the earth. And what happens is then we're not aware. Now here's, here are the Israelites and they're wandering through a desert. Right? This is the, 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 the preparation to go through the de- a, a desert. It's dry. It's hot. They're thirsty. At times they're hungry. But they're in the midst of the promise of God. And look, all they needed to do was look around. Right? It started with Abraham. And now you're going to see there's tens of thousands of them. But they lose sight. And we have a tendency to do that very thing. We lose sight. We, get, we become so focused on the here and now. Right? We become so focused on the things that we can see that are right in our face that we lose sight of the things that basically God is manifesting all around us. 
So God here, he is a simple, it's a confirmation to them. Look what I've done. I promised that I'm going to multiply you. Now look, here's the numbers, right? They're going to number all of the people. Second thing I want you to notice, it was to confirm his care. God promised to take care of his people. He, he promised, right? And, and he demonstrated that by, you know, providing manna for them, by water from a rock, turning the bitter waters of Marah into sweet waters, defeating the Amorites, a pillar of fire to lead them by the night, a cloud to lead them by the day. Uh, he, he was providing for them. He was caring for them. He was, ac- he was actually, too, he was removing the parasites from among them, Korah and, and Dathan, who would have infected the entire community. So he says, he says I will care for you, I will fight for you. I will feed you. So what the, what the census does, again, this is a, a confirmation that God cares for his people. There's no way they could have multiplied like that had he not been caring for them. Well, you look at all of the trials through Genesis. You look at all of the trials that go on through Exodus. God is, is, is providing for them, protecting them, and now he, he's giving them his confirmation. Let me show you a, a beautiful passage. Psalm 80, verse 1. Gevir, O shepherd of Israel. God is the shepherd. You who lead Joseph like a flock. And there's Joseph is a generic name for that. It's being used for all of the tribes of Israel. You who dwell between the cherubim shine forth. He, he is the, the shepherd. And then notice Proverbs chapter 27, 23 Be diligent and know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. God here is saying, I am aware and attending to my flock. Each one by name. Each little lamb. Each each fully grown ram. (laughs) He's, He's confirming to them his care. And isn't that again, it's what, what, Jesus says to us in John chapter 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they know me. Third, a third thing that he confirms here, again, in taking the census, it is, it is to confirm the true Israelites. Because there were some people amongst them who were not true Israelites. So the census is, is just for true Israelites. Numbers chapter 1, 17 through 19. Then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month and they recited their ancestry by families by their father's houses. True Jews, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, each one individually, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai so there is a, a distinction that is made here between those who are true Israelites and those who are not, because they were a mixed multitude. By the way, that doesn't mean that they were excluded from the blessing, but God here makes a distinction between true Israelites and those, and, and those you know, who are not. Let me just say this to you. You remember Uriah? So Uriah was a, a warrior. One of, he, he was one of David's great warriors. And um, he, was, he was married to Bathsheba, and you know the whole story. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then eventually he really had Uriah killed in battle. What was Uriah's nationality? He was a Hittite, right? He wasn't, he wasn't a born-bred Jew. 
And there were a lot of people in Israel like that. And again, this is what God does in making distinction. Look at the distinction in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 2.19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone whose name, the name of Christ, depart from inequity. So he is here making a clear distinction with those who are Israel, you know, and those who are not. Uh, just a, let me, in fact, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to move on here. Second, uh, third thing here, warriors. So key part was, was the, the numbering was the numbering of warriors. That was a major part of this. So Numbers chapter 1, verse 3, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their names. Why is God doing this? Why is he numbering the warriors? He's given them a promised land, but there were going to be wars and there were going to be battles that had to be fought. Notice this. It says here, all who are able to go to war. These are, these are able-bodied, able-minded men that he is calling. So if there was, if there was a bodily... Infirmity, blindness, lameness, chronic disease. Those people were not fit for war. It was those who were true warriors. And you know what's really amazing as you look at this? They go from being slaves, right? They're brick makers to warriors. He, take, he takes slaves and he turns them into... A, if you stop and you think about us, that's what he has done with us. We're slaves to Satan, slaves to the world, slaves to sin, and he liberated us. He set us free, and he set us free to be warriors, right? To fight the good fight. We'll look at, you know, we'll look at that more. Brick makers to giant killers, because that's where they're going. They're going to take on some giants. So it, it, I want to show you Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy 20, and again, this, this is happening now to the next generation, so the, the generation that we're looking at in Numbers 1, they all died out in the desert with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. But now this is a new generation. This, this is the generation of Numbers 1. This is their children now and their grandchildren. Because of their unfaithfulness, they didn't get a chance to enter into the Promised Land. So in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1 through 7, here, here are the standards of being a warrior. Okay, watch, watch this. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Boy, that's a great verse that you should, uh, you should commit to, uh, to memory. Then watch what it says in verse 5. Then the officers shall speak to the people saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicated. I just want you to look at, at, look at verse 5 through 7. What are they saying here? What is, what is the Lord saying here? 
In verse 6, it says, Also that man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it. Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man eat of it. And then verse 7, And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman who has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle, and another man marry her. What is God saying there? What? Okay. You know what I, I believe he's saying is, look, if you've got an excuse, yeah, don't come to war. And that's what follows in the next passage. You get, you've got excuses, right? When Jesus said, when anybody puts their hand to the plow and looks back, they're not fit for the kingdom of God. In, in Luke chapter 14, it says, count the cost. Right? A, a king will count the cost of a battle before going into battle. A man will count a cost before he builds a house, before he begins to lay the foundation of the house. So, so if, you, if you are looking in here and saying, wow, you know what, this is it. I, man, I, you know, I, may, I may die. I may, never, I may never be able to see the woman that I wanted to marry. I may never be able to go back and eat the fruit that, that is growing in my, my vineyard. He's saying, you know what, leave. Leave. Because you, you, you don't want to be in a battle with, with somebody who just turns around and flees when they're supposed to be next to you and have your back. In verses 8 and 9, the officers shall speak further to the people and say, now watch this, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. Cowardice is contagious. Okay, realize righteousness is contagious, holiness is contagious, but cowardice is contagious, right? Gossip and slander are contagious, fear is contagious. So, you know, he, he makes it let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies and lead the people. So what, what he's basically doing here is God is thinning the crowd. Remember Gideon? How many did Gideon start out with at the beginning? 30,000. And then Gideon said, look, anybody here, you don't have it in you to fight the fight? Go back. How many of them left? 20,000. 20,000 turned away and fled. Now he's got 10,000. So they go, they, they go down to the, this little, in fact, I've been there. It's likely the little lake, the little pond. And God says to him, watch those who lap like dogs and watch those who drink like this. Those who lap like dogs are not warriors. Those who drink like this, they're, 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 always, they're, always, they're aware of what's going on around them. He thinned, thinned out the crowd. And that's, you know, that's, essentially, that's essentially what God is saying here in Deuteronomy. You don't want people who don't have a warrior's heart. You're going to go into battle. You don't want people who are faint-hearted. Because as soon as it gets heated up, they're going to run. 
And you know anything, if you know anything about warfare, when, when they were fighting, they were so dependent on the person next to them. You know, some of you, you, you see the movie, The 300 Spartans, right? And some of you, I mean, it's a, it's a little out there. Woo, 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 you know. <laughs> but when, when they fought, they, they basically were shoulder to shoulder. They locked their shields. The Romans did the same thing. So you, you created a shield wall. This is, this is the Spartans, the Vikings, the Romans. They would create a shield wall. And then when the, when the enemies would come, they would just basically, they would just trample the enemies using their, their long spears. But if you had somebody who was like, all of a sudden the person's like, I'm getting out of here. There's the break in the wall. They come right through. You lose the battle. So they were, they were very careful here in, you know, in that. So God eliminates the cowardness and he wants people who have a worries. you know what it's the same in the church it's the same in the church I'll just tell you as a, as a pastor and who is a, a leader of the church and, and other ministries through the, you know, through the years you want your leadership core to be heroic you want them to be warriors because there's going to be stuff that's going to, that's going to come at us that, you know what, if you, if you have a fearful heart or a cowardly heart, you're going to run. You're going to quit. And you, you really need people who are, who are strong, who, who are heroic, who are going to fight that good fight day in and day out. Or, again, the enemy penetrates, and then the church, you know, the church is, easy, is easily defeated. So, a, a, a key there. Next one, number four, leaders. So, verses, uh, verse four. And with you thou shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. Now, these were selected leaders. Now, if you look at verse five through 19, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read off all these names, but there was a leader selected from each of the 12 tribes. Again, Levite, uh, Levites being excluded. God appointed leaders. And see, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and I believe in the Millennial Kingdom, there will be leaders. In fact, I'm reading, I've been studying <laughs> something that can hurt your head, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, the Millennial uh, Temple. Boy, really digging into I've never studied it as in-depth as I have in my devotions in the morning. And it's not, it, it, I'm not preparing sermons on this or anything, just my own study. And as I'm studying, and it's, it's, it's so intense. But there, there will be leaders, princes, in the millennial kingdom. Jesus ruling from Jerusalem. But yet he will have leaders. I think that what we are doing in this life will carry over into the next life. So, God appoints leaders, he calls them, he chooses them, he anoints them, he empowers them, he gifts them, he gives them a mission, he gives them a purpose, he gives them goals. And he holds them to an extremely high standard. <laughs> extremely high standard. So, in the New Testament context, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13, he gave himself, uh, he, uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, 
for the equipping of the saints, for the working of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I believe these five, this is, these are five, the fivefold ministry gifts, I believe they're active today. They're here. You know, there are people, oh, no, no, these gifts have all passed away. Or they say, well, pastor teacher hasn't passed away, but the other, you know, the apostle has. Let me just explain this. There were only 12 apostles, okay? But there are other people in Scripture who are called apostles. So Paul was called an apostle. Paul called himself an apostle, right? So there are people who, again, the original 12, that's a very unique, special called-out group. But there are apostles. What is an apostle? An apostle means one who, who crosses or goes abroad. Apostles, and I'll tell you, Reverend Dallas Mucci, who was instrumental in guiding me in the planting of Living Word, planted 140 churches in New York. He, well, whenever I say this to him, he used to get embarrassed. Because he, he came from the teaching that there were only 12. But again, there are other apostles mentioned in Scripture. This passage where Luke is called an apostle. So he planted 140 churches here in New York, and then he went to Pakistan and planted churches there. Talk about a, a heroic uh, ministry. But he was an overseer. He was overseeing all the churches. He could, he'd come here once a year and preach. And um, But he was an overseer of the church. That's, that's an apostle, a prophet. We always think of a prophet as one who foretells the future. And by the way, a prophet can do that. I'm going through Mark chapter 13 on Sunday mornings. I have been foretelling the future. Not me, but the Word of God and the Holy Spirit speaking the Word of God through me. It's, we're talking about what's going to happen in there. I just, I just spoke a prophecy and spoke forth a prophecy just a moment ago when I was telling you about the millennial kingdom and Jesus reigning from Jerusalem and there being princes who are going to be ruling with Jesus throughout, I believe, the world. So I say, how do I know that? Because that's what the scripture teaches. You go to Zechariah, you go to Isaiah. So it's the, the, that there's a, a foretelling. But for the most part, prophecy is foretelling. It's speaking forth the word, which is what I'm doing tonight. And proclaiming the word of God. Thus saith the Lord... The proclaiming of the word of God. The caruso in, in the Greek. To speak forth the word. Then you have evangelists. An evangelist is somebody who basically they proclaim the gospel leading people into a personal relationship with Jesus. So evangelism is extremely towards the uh, unbeliever. And then you have the, the name here. Pastors and teachers. But they actually seem to go together. It's one. So the idea here is of being a, a, a pastor, an overseer of the flock, right? This is not an apostle overseeing a bunch of flocks, but overseeing the flock, and they are teaching. Now, the difference between preaching and teaching, the prophecy, okay, the koroso to the daidiki, the proclaiming of the word of God, but the explaining of the word of God. So you're getting both of those tonight. I have, a, I have a, a dual gift of being able to say, thus saith the Lord, and proclaiming the word of God, and then explaining the word of God. And uh, that is, the, again, that is the, let's say, the fivefold, fourfold ministry of the church. Now, the word of God says, again, it's, it's a beautiful calling. It's a high calling. 
It's an honorable calling. It's also a calling that requires tremendous responsibility and accountability. It says in James chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. If you aspire to be uh, an apostle or a pastor or a teacher or a prophet, just realize you're going, to be, you're going to be held to a tremendous level of accountability and scrutinized by God, and he will deal with you. You veer off. You, you just decide, hey, you know what, I'm just going to wing a message. I'll tell you, these, these messages I go through with a, with, what's the right word? A, a thin, a fine-tooth comb. Who said that? Yeah, Freddie. A fine coot, just going through carefully just to make sure, especially, especially when de- I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, hey, if I was, if I was dealing with John 3.16, I could stand here tonight and preach John 3.16 to you. But when I'm in some passages that I'm not as familiar with, you don't want to misrepresent God because he will deal with you. And I've had, t- I've had times through the years, early years, I would leave the church and God would start dealing with me with stuff that maybe I went off in an area. Be careful. Aren't you glad you weren't singing on my ministry back then? You'd all be heretics <laughs> along with me. All right, last thing here. Numbers, uh, the, the, the fifth thing is priests. And then this comes back to the Levites, Numbers chapter 1, 47 through 54. But the Levites were not numbered amongst them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take census of them among the children of Israel, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standards according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of testimony that they may... Uh, be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. Again, here is what we get a, a, a basic picture of what it would have, again, looked like. You have the 12 tribes, and we'll get into, again, how all of this was set up last week, uh, next week, but here is the, uh, the tabernacle. Now, I'm going to give you a, an application here for just a few minutes. First thing, Jesus has your number. That God numbered them all. But Jesus has your number. In Matthew chapter 10, 29 through 30, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will, but the hairs of your head are all numbered. Every little nub up here. He's got my number. He's got your number. And it just spe- speaks about his, you know, his, his love and his care for his people. Second thing here, he knows your name. He read that he get all the names. He put them on scrolls. 
In John chapter 10, verse 3, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Have you ever heard the voice of the Spirit calling your name? Just, just saying your name, Frank, and just, just hearing the voice, that still small voice of God, just, it is, just that, that sometimes that's all I need. That's all I need. Just, just the, the Lord, hey, I'm here with you. Whatever you're going through, I'm here with you. And he just speaks that word right into your, your heart. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 49, 16, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Third, we have a call to battle. We have a call to battle. And we are to battle every day. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 6, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when our, diso when our obedience is fulfilled. We battled against Satan, right? Three, three fronts. Satan, the world, and our own flesh. We, we will tear down strongholds and right, casting down arguments. What are strongholds and arguments? False gospels, um, false prophecies, false cults, false ideologies. You know, I had somebody approach me after I, I spoke to the man on, on Saturday and I had, I had said that, you know, I said in my message, communism is an enemy. They killed, they killed 100 million people in the last century. They imprison our brothers and sisters in Venezuela and Cuba, China. It's, it is an ideology of the devil. And I said, when, when I'm talking to somebody and maybe they're buying into communism, which a lot of young people are today, I don't have any problem showing them the evils of communism and what it's done, because most of them are ignorant. They're not being taught that in high school or college. They don't know about all the millions of people who were slaughtered. We even, we even know some of them. Right, who were who were tortured and who were imprisoned because of um, their you know their faith, but that that is again that is that is pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments. But we are we are warriors, and I think just let me say this to you: a warrior is more known by their actions than their words. It's easy to you know, anybody can can talk it. It's it's the, it's the way you live, and then the, the the last thing here: we are called to be priests. So in Revelation chapter 1, 6, and he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. A, a, a kingdom, it's a, it's a basilia. We are called to be a basilia of priests. You know, you look at, look at what is a priest? So the Pope is called the Pontifex. He's called the Pontifex Maximus. What, that, the, the word Pontifex is a Latin word. So you have the word, the, the, the word when, in the Latin Vulgate of Jerome, 3rd century, he translated the word priest, Pontifex. You ever hear of a, of a pontoon bridge? It's a, it's a bridge that is above the water, but it's a bridge that enables people to go from one point to another point. What are we supposed to do as priests? We build bridges between men and God. And, and that could be unbelievers in God or believers in God. 
We, we build, we build where, where, where pontoon bridges that build, and we do that, we do that with the witness, right, with, with our witness of the gospel. We also do it, though, on our knees in intercession. You will win, I believe, more souls to Christ by praying on your knees and witnessing than just trying to witness. You have to saturate your when You have people in your life that you want to be saved. You long for them to be saved. Family members, friends, your, your, heart, your heart burns. You, want, you, you don't want to see them lost. Well, you, you need to get down on your knees as an intercessor and you need to be praying. You need to be praying for that, for that bridge to be built. And when you have the opportunity to share with them, you share with them. But we are all New Testament priests. We're warriors, right? And we are priests. So would you bow, bow your heads and I'll, I'll pray with you and the worship team can come up. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I just pray, Lord God, impress this word upon our hearts. And Lord, we may remember some things, sometimes vaguely from Numbers chapter 1. Let us always, Lord God, though, remember that, Lord God, you got our number. You know our name. Lord God, you've called us to be warriors, to fight the good fight, and you've called us to be priests, to make intercession and build bridges, Lord God, from you to the people of this world. And Jesus, we pray that you would just again impress that upon our hearts and our minds. Let us walk out of here, Lord God, tonight, truly empowered by your spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray this, amen.